The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Please be seated. More than 20 years ago, while traveling with my husband in Copenhagen, Denmark, I suddenly fell ill and needed emergency surgery. Said surgery was excellently and quickly accomplished, and two days later, I was released, albeit much weaker and slower than previously. When it came time for us to return home, my physical capabilities were such that wheelchair assistance was required in the airports, Copenhagen, JFK, Atlanta, even our little Columbia airport. Now, as a southerner, I'm accustomed to making eye contact with the strangers who cross my path, perhaps smiling, or at least, though, acknowledging their presence on the sidewalk or in the shops and restaurants. It's how we're brought up here, to connect with one another. And that desire to connect also travels with me to places where folks don't always know how to react, 
but still it's what I do. And I'll bet you do too. And most of the time, people will at least acknowledge the contact, perhaps with a smile or at least some attempt at connection. But something odd happened on my way home from Copenhagen. Even though my behavior of seeing people continued, suddenly I became invisible. Consistently, in all airports, international, northeast and eastern, and even here in the friendly south, I was unseen, invisible, non-existent. No one looked at me as I was escorted through those airports in my wheelchair. I could literally watch as I saw the wheelchair and then shifted uncomfortably away from me. What is it that causes some people to have something in their line of vision and yet not really see them? And what causes others to both have someone or something in their line of vision and to really see them? What makes the difference between not really seeing and seeing? Today's parable, only found in the Gospel of Luke, is one of several that illustrates that the kingdom of God shows up when and where we least expect it. And what we have here in today's parable is a three-act play. The first act portrays the earthly contrast between the wealthy man and Lazarus. The second act describes the reversal of their conditions in the afterlife. And the third act depicts the rich man's request to Father Abraham for a sign so that those still living can avoid his torment, a request that Abraham refuses. I want you to note that this is not a parable about the evils of wealth. First century hearers of this parable would not have assumed that the rich man was evil and the poor man was righteous. On the contrary, wealth in the ancient world was often viewed as a sign of divine favor and while poverty was seen as evidence of sin. The rich man's sin was not that he was rich, but that during his earthly life he did not see Lazarus, despite Lazarus's daily presence at the front door of his home. The first time he ever sees Lazarus is when from Hades he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And note what happens when the rich man finally does see Lazarus. He asks Abraham to send Lazarus to him for some water, and then to send Lazarus to warn his brothers of their fate. He can only see Lazarus through the eyes of what Lazarus can do for him. Truly, even in death, nothing has changed. When Lazarus lived placed outside this rich man's door hoping for a scrap of food, he had no value to the rich man. And when Lazarus died, his value to the rich man was one of serving the rich man's needs with no acknowledgement of the humanity and dignity of Lazarus.
Still, the rich man is not entirely without compassion. He asks that Lazarus be sent back to warn his five brothers of the fate that awaits them. And Abraham refuses, saying, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The brothers already know better. Their hearts are so hardened that even sending someone back from the dead will make no difference. This parable is often wrongly titled, The Rich Man and Lazarus. Perhaps the more accurate title would be, The Indifferent Man, who could have listened to Moses and the prophets and followed God's way of life and been welcomed into paradise by Father Abraham, but chose not to, and Lazarus. That is, the rich man and his brothers are not condemned because of their wealth, but because they were indifferent to the plight of Lazarus and did nothing to relieve his suffering. They were indifferent to the teachings of Moses and the prophets, which clearly showed them God's concern for the poor. It's not too hard to see the moral of this story. And perhaps it raises questions, I, I hope it does, that we are not so indifferent not to be challenged by this story. If we hear this gospel parable rightly, we are asking ourselves questions like, who does God place squarely in front of me each day whom I fail to see? How often does my to-do list take precedence over kindness? Who do I ignore because it's uncomfortable to acknowledge them? Who do my eyes slip past because I don't want to see them? This parable is rich in what I call shoulds. And I could preach the shoulds quite easily today. You know, the I should do this or I should be doing more. The shoulds. But when we approach this gospel from the should perspective, it becomes a duty, burdensome and unpleasant. And to be sure, God doesn't call faithful Christians to a comfortable life. Because we proclaim Jesus as the one who died and returned to life for our sakes, God calls us to see the world through eyes of compassion and courage to turn away from the harsh understandings of our culture and see the world through the love that God has for each one of us. And today's parable prompts us to remember that in the words of our confession today, there is much we have left undone. So instead of seeing this parable through the eyes of shoulds, Today, I'd like to invite you to see it differently. What if we could see this story of Lazarus as an invitation into the greater life, a life enriched by reaching out to someone outside of our comfort levels, someone we've never really interacted with before, a complete stranger in the grocery line, a person maybe diagnosed with Alzheimer's, the forgotten shut-in, Someone sitting alone in the cafeteria. Perhaps one of our homeless families who visits us through our Family Promise program. Can you imagine what might have happened 
if the indifferent rich man had done the same with Lazarus? If he had channeled the same concern for Lazarus that he did for his brothers, I bet that both of their lives could have been richer. So the question for us today is this. Who remains invisible to us? And why do we fail to see them? And knowing as we do that the kingdom of God shows up in the places we least expect, why do we forget to look beyond our comfort into the eyes of people who might challenge us to see beyond ourselves? Because it's hard work, that's why. To live generously and compassionately requires that we face our own fears and prejudices. Pema Chodron, a Buddhist monk and author of the book, The Places That Scare You, writes this, When we practice generating compassion, we can expect to experience our fear of pain. Compassion practice is daring. It involves learning to relax and allow ourselves to move gently toward what scares us. In cultivating compassion, we draw from the wholeness of our experiences, our suffering and our empathy, as well as our cruelty and terror. It has to be this way. Compassion is not a relationship between the healer and the wounded. It's a relationship between equals. Imagine that. What might have happened if that indifferent rich man had seen Lazarus as an equal, as one who might have taught him much about himself? Kingdom work demands much of us, our time, our energy, but perhaps most importantly, our courage and our willingness to face the deepest fears within us. And the people who are most invisible to us are likely the people who could help us best name and break open our own deepest fears. And that is indeed kingdom work. This parable calls us to look into the eyes of those who differ from us, who scare us and make us uncomfortable, respecting their dignity no matter what, and to see the eyes of God looking back at us. Because when we do, we do see the eyes of God looking back at us from the most unlikely sources. And that's how God works and redeems us, by challenging us to reach out to others, to be broken open, broken hearted, if you will, so that we too grow into the greater abundant life. Unfortunately, that didn't happen for the indifferent rich man, but it still can for us. In closing, I'd like to tell you a story about something that happened to me this week. I met the Messiah, or at least I met a Messiah, but who's to say he's not of God? Let me explain. Like some of you, I volunteer with the Reading Matters program initiated by several bishops in our area to include our own Bishop Waldo. As I arrived for the first time at my kindergarten classroom at Burton Pack Elementary last Wednesday, the teacher told me that she had just the child for me to tutor, 
a little boy who loved to be read to. His name? Messiah. A beautiful little boy with big brown eyes and a runny nose and energy levels that I wish I had. Like I said, who's to say he isn't what his name proclaims? Part of the beauty and abundance of this kingdom life God offers to all of us is that I could see this little five-year-old as someone who could teach me something, who was my equal in the kingdom of God. I could look into this little Messiah's eyes and I could see my Messiah. And God showed up again in that kindergarten class last Wednesday in the eyes of a runny-nosed little boy. Thanks be to God. Amen.